Vegas Video Network Studios, just steps from the Las Vegas Strip, it's Top of the Food Chain. And now your host, he's one part mohawk, two parts attitude, and a touch of what the f***, it's Al Mancini. Uh, thank you so much. Hello, we are on top of the food chain on the Vegas Video Network. And yes, I am your host, Al Mancini. Some would say the hammerhead shark of the food writing world. And by that, I mean I am a proud and majestic animal, something of an endangered species. I have a very strange head. And um, <laughs> people can't stomach most of me, but there are parts that are extraordinarily valuable. And this week, there are quite a few people in the casinos that would rather not talk about me, but we'll get more to that in a few minutes. You are on the Vegas Video Network, and welcome, top of the food chain. You can catch all of our shows here at the Vegas Video Network, vegasvideonetwork.com. We got all sorts of stuff going on here, real estate, comedy, anything you need to know, golf, whatever it is you do. Check it all out at Vegas Video Network. Um, you can find all of our shows on iTunes. You can get them all on YouTube. Um, you can watch them on Roku, and you can listen to all of these things um, every Friday night. 1400 AM here in Las Vegas, KSHP. Now, if you're listening and you've got a question that you want to ask for a future show, you can dial it up at 866-966-4599. If you are lucky enough to be watching live, we've got a chat room happening, so jump in there. We're gonna be talking truffles today and we're gonna be talking lobster. We're doing gourmet foods today, so if you want anything you ever want to know about truffles or lobster, we have experts here for you hop in the chat room. In the meantime, if you've got questions for a future show, you can email it to us, and that is food at vegasvideonetwork.com. You want to follow what I'm doing, I'm on the Twitter, it's Al Mancini Vegas, or you can check out my website, and that is almancini.net. In the meantime, we've got a lot to talk about today, so let's get this show started. Scott, as I always ask, how are you, my brother? I am uh, I'm well, thank you. Uh, a little tired, been working hard all week at uh, G2E, which is the huge, large gaming convention here. You've been and, watching uh, the future of gambling, right? Watching the future of gambling and preparing for our big extravaganza this Saturday. Yes, this Saturday, not last Saturday, which is when I showed up. Yes, yes. You, <laughs> it's were, a, you were simply a week off. It's a first anniversary show, right? That's right. And wasn't last Saturday your one-year anniversary? It was, but we were so busy, we couldn't do it. Okay, so... Foolish me, I showed up here trying to check it out on the actual anniversary. Yes, or you could have checked your email, which I, had the actual date. I could have, but I am spending so much time paying attention to food at VegasVideoNetwork.com, I don't have time to check out my real email. So, Scott, um, I don't know, have you ch checked out today's Las Vegas City Life? No, sir, I have been busy little beaver, work, work, working. It is our semi-annual dining issue over at City Life, and this is dedicated to seafood this week. Um, and it had lobster on the cover, which is why I was thinking about lobster today. But, you know, I mentioned shark, and I have kind of made, uh, you know, we like to talk about on this show what goes on behind the scenes in the writing of a food writer. I have angered some people at some casinos this week, Scott. And why would you have done that? Well, because I wrote an article about shark fin soup. Oh. And shark fin soup, which is a horrifying product, and no human being with a conscience should ever eat it, is served secretly in just about every casino here in town. But they, t they don't put it on the menu. 
Hmm. And they, they only, I mean, they'll serve it to anybody, but only their Asian high rollers know to ask for it. And I kind of blew the lid off the fact that everyone serves it, even though they don't talk about it. And um, yeah, I've been having a little hard time. So I hope you're not approaching any of the casinos for sponsorship this week. No, man. but do you, are you getting feedback from them or are you just sensing anger? No, in, in all honesty, I'm not getting any anger. Um, they, they most, for the most part, they've been fairly professional. Um, and in some cases, very professional. The problem is, it's just how they shut down. I mean, if you call a casino and ask to ask a question about shark fin, they pretty much just put you on hold for about six months before they answer your question. <laughs> and um, I mean, it, it was rough, man. And you know, now that the, the article's out, I'm not getting any negative feedback. I really am not. But as it was, as we were approaching it for the month prior to writing this article, trying to get comments from the casino was really like pulling teeth. You know, I, I joked today on Facebook, if I had been writing a story about hookers and blow in casinos, I probably would have gotten much more <laughs> eager responses than about the perfectly legal but morally objectionable product that is Sharksfin. Do you think that they feel that it's objectionable as well? They're just doing it only because of the high rollers? Or do you think they secretly don't give a damn? I guess it would depend on the casino and on the resort, uh, and I don't, certainly don't want to put words in anybody's mouth. I know for a fact there are people within resorts that would prefer that their company did not serve it. But I also sympathize with them. I mean, at the end of the day, if you are going to turn away the highest of high rollers in a lousy economy and tell them they can't eat the one item that they want to eat, they're going to go to your competitor. Yeah. The shark's still going to die. And, you know, I think the only, you know, so in a certain way, I don't blame the casinos for the fact that they have to serve it. I think the only way we could really stop it here in Las Vegas is to do what they've done in um, Washington, Oregon, Hawaii, and it's about to happen in California, which would be to ban the sale of shark fin altogether. Whether I think Nevada, which is kind of a do-whatever-the-heck-you-want state, would ever think about such legislation, I severely doubt it. But I, I really don't blame the casinos, but I do think it is a little odd that it's not on the menus and nobody talks about it, nobody wants you to know about it. And pick up this week's City Life, you know, a lot more about it in there. One more question about that. Has anybody told you off the record uh, the amount of shark fin soup they serve? Well, I actually have, um, you know, one resort that refused to answer any question of mine was Win Encore. However, a very, and this is in the article, a highly placed member of their food and beverage team, I won't say whether it was a he or a she, who, because this person is very worried about his slash her job for speaking to me, said that leading up to Chinese New Year, they get two chefs from Los Angeles who work for three months. Non their full-time job is preparing shark fin for the Chinese New Year celebration, and that there are thousands of orders that are served just during that Chinese New Year period. Hundreds during a single Chinese New Year VIP banquet at wow. Win Encore. That's, you know, two resorts. Wow. And they sure as heck are not the only people that are serving this stuff. So, but that person for saying that to me is absolutely convinced that there would be a firing for, uh. for revealing that information. So, a little crazy, seedy underbelly, the dirty little secret of the Las Vegas culinary world. In the meantime, you can get it in um, Chinatown. They don't care. They put it right on their menu, and they're, like, happy to sell it to you. Got it. Cool. So. Thanks. No problem. Um, look, we're going to be back talking truffles, which is a much yummier product than shark fin and a much more expensive product, if that's even believable, than shark fin. In just a second, we've got Lisa Voix right after this. Livestream is your premier place to watch live events on the web, mobile devices, and connected TVs. See new events daily or broadcast your own at Livestream.com. Livestream. Be there.
And we are back with Top of the Food Chain on the Vegas Video Network. And I have with me the lovely Lee Savoie. Brand new name for you, Lee Savoie. It Savoir. is. When you said it, I was a little caught off guard. Yeah, Thank congratulations. You. Married, what, two weeks now? Yes. To our old friend, Franck Savoie. Yes. Um, who has been on this show. And, well, so Lee Greenfield, people would know you as prior to this, right? Yes. And now Lee Savoie. Yes. And you are truffle importer extraordinaire. I am. We have, before I even get started on this, Scott is blinking with a question over there. Scott? Yeah, yeah just real quick about the uh, last shark question. Maya wanted to know, uh, he or she had read your article today. Are there any parts of the shark that are edible? Uh, depending on the shark, um, in, in many cases, the entire shark could be edible. And in certain instances, like Thresher and Hammerhead, I don't, actually, Thresher shark, I believe, is edible, but it's not worth very much. Hammerhead, I don't believe humans eat at all as far as I understand it. And that I'm getting from a Gordon Ramsay special that I saw on BBC, but I'm pretty sure. So it all depends. And that is the major problem. With, and I don't want to drag this into Lee's segment, but that's, right. that's the major problem because of the fact that a lot of this meat is edible, but it is only worth, say, and I'm making an example. Let's say the shark meat was worth a dollar a pound and the fin was worth $50 a pound. They're out there on a boat and they only have so much space, and they're not going to bring a 400-pound shark that's only worth $400 if it's a dollar a pound back. It's going to take up 400 pounds worth of space. They're going to hack off a little fin that's worth $50 a pound, and they're going to conserve space. And that's the big problem with it. All right, thank you. OK, enough with the sharks. You can check that out on <laughs> City Life, and I'll be more than happy. We are talking a happier subject, truffles. <laughs> yeah. Lee, truffles. Can you tell people what truffles are? Truffles are a mushroom. The difference between a mushroom and a truffle is truffles are underground, whereas a mushroom is grown above ground. Um, ours are all from Italy, European truffles. Um, so I'm with Urbani truffles. And we basically bring them in. They come in from Italy to New York, and then they're sent here. Um, People that compare them to mushrooms, though, I think that's kind of a misnomer. I think you can hate mushrooms and love truffles, or vice versa. Oh, they're they're completely completely different mm -hmm. species. I mean, they're all within the fung. They're all fungus. Correct. But they're they're very very different. I mean, seriously, if you don't like mushrooms, don't think you don't want to try truffles. And the beautiful thing about truffles is, I mean, this entire room smells of truffles right now. <laughs> they are the most probably the most aromatic food that off the top of my head that I can think of. Especially white, which you see here. Whites are the most aromatic, the most flavorful, the best you want to try. If you want to experiment with truffles, try with white. The most expensive also. Mm -hmm. Of course. And only in season <laughs> a few few months of the year. Of not even a few, a little October, a little bit of November. I, you can usually get them in restaurants from, say, October through New Year's Eve. They tend to save some until New yeah, Year's. Yeah, we save them, but it, it, the quantity de decreases throughout. Scott, do we have a question? Uh, Maya wants to know, can you grow truffles? Oh, are they in the wild, or are they in farms? They are very wild, especially white. White is the wildest. It is something that's completely mother nature. The, um, the blacks can be somewhat, I mean, commercially cultivated. They, they take about seven years to grow, to get the soil right, the atmosphere right. Everything has to be exactly there. You have to have the right trees, um, the right sunlight, the right amount of water, the right minerals. The blacks can be grown in certain regions. 
however whites are very wild. And I mean, even where they try to cultivate them, I mean, this has been centuries people have attempted that. Oh, yes. I'd actually read a story, I have no idea if you could shed any light on whether it's true, that and I didn't send, send you this as one of my questions, so I apologize. Um, I had read a story that actually prior to World War, World War II, they were actually had come up with a way sort of to cultivate even the whites, but then the war broke out and the secret was lost in the war. Do you know, have you heard that story? No, I haven't. I mean, I know everyone tries to cultivate everything. Of course, whites, they are the most expensive, so why wouldn't you, you know, want to try to uh, grow that product? But it, no one has been successful. I mean, I think Australia is the, the probably number one region trying to, to cultivate it. But it's, it's not something that I think is going to happen near the same as a European truffle. Now, the best truffles come from Italy. Of course. And the region around Alba, correct? Yes, white. White truffles. Mm -hmm. And actually, let's go through the types of truffles. We've got white truffles, black truffles, summer truffles. How many types of truffles are there out In there? In the US, we generally only speak about white, black winter, black summer, and burgundy. In Italy, there's hundreds because we, um, there are a lot of different types of truffles. It's just uh, we don't really bring them into the U.S. because they're not as popular. But we, we have the, the white right now, the black winter will come you know, later in late November, early December. And then we'll go into uh, summer and then burgundy. Okay. How do they rank in price? I mean, because price, I mean, it's a matter of taste, what you like, yeah. obviously. I don't want to say what's the best, but we can say what's the most expensive. Uh, so how do they rank that way? They rank, um, as far as you know, quality, taste, aroma, the least is going to be the summer. So those are the most affordable. Um, they, they're more of a natural taste. They're more of, um, in my opinion, they, they kind of taste like an almond. They, they bring more of the earthy, the earthy flavor. Then you go into burgundies, which are known to be in between a summer and a black winter. I personally, I mean, I still think the, the burgundies are not as flavorful, but then you go into the extreme of white, and they're very flavorful, very large aroma, um, just the best. And then we're going to go into Black Winter, which are, you know, in my opinion, equally as nice. Um, price is a little bit less, so that's always good for people. But um, I, I love Black Winter and white. Okay. So. Now, you know, we're talking about price, and a lot of people out there have never tried a truffle and are going to be a little shocked. I mean, Scott, cut to that picture of what we have on the table. We have about two pounds of truffles here. A probably a little less, yeah, round two. Round two pounds. Your wholesale price for these, these truffles that are sitting right in front of me, I mean, this, to, to give it a comparison, there's my hand next to it, okay? It's not a <laughs> massive pile of truffles. Um, you sell these for what, about five grand to a restaurant? Um, yeah, a pound is around, depending on size, um, it ranges anywhere from 2000 to 2700 So that on the table is probably around $5,000. Right. That's pretty amazing. Yes. <laughs> Again, we'll put the salt shaker next to it. I mean, you know, this is what we're talking about. Five grand worth of truffles right here. So it's, it, it, you know, it's just astounding to certain people. You only need a little bit, though. A little bit goes a long way. Yeah, and every restaurant uses different proportions. Um, you know, they range anywhere from one ounce to eight ounces on a dish. So um, just depending on what you like, white is obviously everyone's preference, I believe. So 
for the most part, especially with whites, it doesn't seem that the chefs necessarily cook with them. Most of what happens when I go to a white truffle tasting, with a few exceptions, notably I think there's a white truffle lasagna at Fiamma that they do, but mm -hmm. most, uh, most of the time they come out with their best dish that they love the most, whether it be a risotto or a chicken or whatever, and then they take this cool little thing that you've got here, this little truffle shaver, and I would do it, but I don't want to give you $500. <laughs> and then you just kind of shave off just you know some shavings of truffles, and they sit on top of the dish, right? I mean, that's primarily how it's served. The best way, I've, I've, I haven't heard of anyone cooking whites, is raw. You just shave them on top, you eat them on the dish, and that's the, the best way. And that may be what they do at Fiamma. I actually haven't tried that dish yeah. yet, so I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I'm going in for it soon, though, very oh. soon. Uh, we've got a question, Scott. We started to answer it. Bill asked, how are they served? And how much should I expect to pay at a restaurant? They are generally served. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the restaurants here serve them table side. So you will actually see the server come to your table with the shaver and shave them right in front of you. Um, so you know, you know they're raw. They're not cooked. And you eat them as is on your dish. Um, some of the restaurants will do it. Um, they'll shave them in the back of the house at, in the kitchen. And it's generally the same. Like I said, I've never heard of anyone cooking them. Is it an appetizer or a main course? Or at what point do you have these? On anything. I mean, yeah. I, I, at, at Guy Savoie, not yes. to bring up Guy Savoie <laughs> again. But I mean, you go for a white truffle tasting dinner, and they shave them on your appetizer, and they shave them on your second course, and they shave them on your fish course, and they shave them on your beef course. And I mean, all the way through, you get truffles. It's, it's really an item that you can eat on a lot of different things. Um, of course, eggs, pasta, anywhere like that is, is the best. But you can really eat them on anything. Wonderful on risotto. Yeah, risottos, yes. Absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. Super rich. They're very earthy, so they go mm -hmm. well with anything that has a very earthy feel to it, really. Yeah. You know, I mean, you wouldn't want it on a citrus dish or something like no, that. No, no. You know, but, um, How about cost? Cost per, it's going gonna, it's gonna to depend on how much the chef puts on your dish. Um, like I said, it generally goes anywhere from one ounce to eight ounces. Um, and with every ounce is, is more. So I know, you know, if you're going to get around six and a half ounces, you're probably going to pay about 150 to 200 per dish. So 150 to $200 additional for having the truffles Correct. on it. And if you do a white truffle tasting menu somewhere, I mean, you can be spending four or five hundred dollars a person probably. Um, yeah, I, I know a restaurant, I mean there's there's a couple of restaurants that are doing it around three hundred, which okay. is a really good if you're if you're getting white truffles and you're getting uh, you know a few courses, that's really good. Yeah. Um, but definitely not when you're on bargain shopping. This is not this is not a bargain dish. You, there's so much about how they're caught or how they're caught, excuse me, how they're <laughs> harvested, how they're found. Um, because it was for years it was pigs that yes. did it, right? Could you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, um, he, nowadays we don't really use pigs. Um, as you can imagine, uh, a pig is going to be difficult to um, to bring in and about traveling with the, you know, they bring them to the fields in the truck, so you have to lift them. It's just um, the logistics of having pigs hunt the truffles is, is not convenient. But pigs naturally love the smell of truffles, right? Pigs that are the best, yeah. and they, they naturally just go. At right to the truffle, but they go so fast they eat them before the <laughs> truffle hunter can actually grab it. So that's another one of the problems is they eat them. They just act like pigs. Yeah, right? of course. <laughs> 
So we have um, all of our truffles are found with dogs now. They're a little easier to get in and out of the trucks. They, um, the only problem with dogs is they get distracted. So like a squirrel <laughs> is more interesting to them than a truffle. Yeah, <laughs> they can be distracted by a lot of different things. So that's why our truffle hunting happens between midnight and 4 a.m. It's a little more peaceful, so our the dogs do not get distracted. Now, if these are in the wild, it must be very secretive. I mean, I've heard stories that if, if a journalist like myself were to go out and try to check out how, how these are done, like I've heard about people being blindfolded when they're taken <laughs> to the field. I mean, any truth to this or are these old, old journalist tales? <laughs> you know, if I was a truffle hunter, I would protect my fields, but I'm sure, yeah, it's um, our company, we, we actually have the fields, so we have about 8,000 hunters and we we pretty much take ownerships in those fields. So if, if it's a, a smaller company who, you know, who, because we buy the truffles from the hunters. So, you know, I would say it's very secretive to them. They're not letting a lot of people know where they're getting them. And I'm sure that still exists. Right. Of course, with the, you know, with the cost of them, they would have to. Yeah, well, absolutely amazing. These things smell delicious. If you don't have a guard pig or a guard dog out there, I'm going to be sneaking one into my pocket, I think. Um, yo, I got truffles. We saw them on the street like crack, man. More expensive than crack. That should be the new motto for truffles. But thank you so much for coming. It's no, great to see you. you. Um, we will be back. We'll be talking lobsters. In the meantime, where should we? Where can people get your luscious truffles? Any restaurants that we should recommend? Um, Guy Savoie. Guy Savoie, of course. <laughs> I, was thinking, I was thinking that, but I didn't want to be thrown it that way. I didn't know, you're, all, you know, you're married now. You might not be getting along. I'm not sure. It'll be different next week. Go to okay. Robichon next right. week. <laughs> but all, all the great restaurants in town. Seriously, people, it is white truffle season finally. This is the most wonderful time of the year for foodies. And really, get them now. This is the, the very early part of the season. What you get through now in November will taste a little different throughout that. And then what you really get through December, and if you're able to get them in early January, will be stuff that's left over. So now is the time to go check it out. I highly recommend it. Thank you so much for coming down today. Thank you very much. And we will be back talking lobsters right after this. <laughs> no pressure. Hi, I'm... <laughs> Hi, I'm Dennis Silvers from... Can't think of the name of my damn show. Off another four letter words, and you're watching the Vegas Video Network, I think. And we are back on the Vegas Video Network at top of the food chain. And if they pan down here, you will notice she took all of the truffles. She does not trust me not to steal those truffles, they're gone. The scent lingers in the air, though, and that is what is beautiful about truffles. <laughs> Moving on from one luxury item to another, we're going to talk about something a bit more approachable. You don't have to be super rich to do this one. Lobster. And to talk lobster, I've got my buddy John Courtney. How are you, John? What's up, buddy? How are you today? Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you. John is from RM Seafood. And the coolest thing about the fact that John is from RM Seafood is, last time you were here, you were sitting out in the audience. Yes. You were unemployed. I was unemployed. And you and I, I had to go down to um, meet Rick Moonen at RMC right. about something, and you were tagging along because we were going to do some drinking together. And bada bing, bada boom, next thing here you know, here you are. You're working. Yes. You met Rick that day, and you're working at RMC Food. I am, thanks to you. I am a kingmaker. You are. You are. <laughs> Scott, you are no longer the kingmaker. I am the kingmaker. <laughs> The crown, my brother. Uh, no, man, it's, it's great to have you working over at RM, yeah, man. it's awesome, it's awesome. One of my favorite restaurants, of course, here in town. Yes. And you must be doing more seafood than you ever imagined, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of seafood. Um, 
I know you do everything there. We but. do, we do. Sustainable seafood is the important part. Um, lobsters is what we're kind of here to talk about today, which we run through about 100, 150 lobsters on a busy weekend per day. So we definitely touch lobster a lot. Yeah, I wanted to talk about lobster just because um, I was out at your place and I was looking at the lobster they were cutting up and they were the main lobsters. And then I did a photo shoot recently um, where they had a bunch of spiny lobsters out. And I yes. was realizing a lot of people don't realize there are different types of lobsters out there. A lot of people, a lot of you guys out there may just think lobster and depending on where you were raised, you think they're all the same. And there are a lot of different types of lobster. Not, not a lot, not, maybe not even as many as truffles, but there are right. a few different, seriously different types of lobsters out there. And I wanted to talk to you a bit about them. Sure. If we may. Yeah, they're all in the crustacean family. Um, there are arthropods. Arthropods are a type of crustacean that <clears throat> shed their shell. So you have your uh, claw lobsters. It's the basic definition between them is do they have a claw or not? Yeah, and we've got a couple of pictures. First of all, the, the, we got a couple of pictures of what people would call generally a main lobster. And this, yes. is, this is what you see on the lobster bib. You know, and here's a couple. There you go. There's a very basic one. They got the big old claws. Yes. And then we got another one sitting around on shrimp in there somewhere. And, and you put the rubber bands on them, and you see them in the tanks all the time. That, that's your main lobster. That's your main lobster, yes. Generally, you get that um, in the northeast part yes. of the United States. Yes. Of course, Maine, Maine. being part of that. Yes. But, yeah. you know, the whole northeast, you know, all the way from um, Boston, where yes. you get a lot of lobsters. Are there any other places that those are specific to? Um, lobsters actually can be anywhere in any part of the ocean is the unique thing about them. Um, not to define them as a cockroach of the sea, but um, their life longevity. Um, they have an enzyme that is naturally produced that reproduces uh, in the structure of their DNA. So if they have any impurities in their DNA, it will fix itself. Um, so aside from disease or being caught, they will live forever, essentially, okay, is you, what we're told. Okay, you telling me this. I mean, yeah. really, they're going to live. So if I eat a lot of lobster, I'll live forever? Is no, that the deal? No, the lobster will live forever. It's called telomars, <laughs> and telomars is uh, an enzyme, like I said, that they produce that helps fix their DNA structure. There's, of course, so, no way to prove this because uh, Scientists have found it, but it's not the, uh, you know, the glass of life here that we're going to drink and then live forever. I was just going to say, though, they only found this thing recently. Yes. They haven't seen yes. one just drop over dead since they found no, it. You never no, no. Yeah, Because yeah, I've possible. seen some, you know, in those, um, have you ever seen those lobster claw games? I have. Bars? I have. I'm <laughs> anxious to see the one that you've mentioned at uh, PT's. Yeah, people, if you, <laughs> haven't, um, if you haven't seen this, Go over to PT's on um, 215 and Rainbow, I believe, right, Sue? Rainbow, yeah. 215 and Rainbow, there's a PT's there. And it's like one of those claw <laughs> games that you see. And you, um, you put a couple bucks in there, and there are a bunch of lobsters in the tank, and it goes down, and it pulls the lobster out. And if you're lucky enough to get a lobster, they cook it for you for free. It's really cool. But I've seen some lobsters roaming around in those tanks that look like they're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> they look like yeah. they're not living forever. Well, and they say they're omnivores, so they eat just about anything. Um, when they shed their skin or molt, their skin to grow, they'll eat that. So they found in lobster bellies um, actual other lobsters. But in the wild, they don't, they're not cannibals. It's when they're in, in, you know, captured that they become cannibals. See, I thought they were in the wild because that's why I never felt bad about eating a lobster. Yeah, I figured yeah. if they're willing to eat each other, why should I feel Right. Bad? Supposedly in the wild, they don't, but that's what scientists say, so who knows? Yeah, who's watching them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's no yeah. lobster cop yeah. down there. Yeah. No, lobster there's no lobster cop. Division there we go. checking into it. Man. Omar police, there we go. You talk about them shedding their skin. Yeah, they do molt. Um, that's how they grow. Um, so they molt their skin every so often. Um, and then uh, for food purposes, I guess they also enjoy that as a delicacy themselves. So, is there such a thing as a soft shell lobster? Like there is a soft shell crab? No, there's actually the opposite direction: harder shell lobsters, like Brittany blues, which are in very uh, cold water. Um, their shell, they're very, very thick-shelled, very strong, durable. Um, so, kind of the opposite, if anything. 
Now, well, we just showed the, um, the main lobster, so to speak, and that's in the Pacific, I mean, excuse me, the Atlantic, North Atlantic, yes. generally. We also have the spiny lobster, and this is the primary Pacific lobster. Yes. And keep that up there, people, if you notice, they've got those big tenac or tentacles, I guess you would call antennae. them. Antennae. Antennae, yes. yes. Um, <clears throat> which they poke around with, and they yes. can whip those bad boys yes. when you grab them. If you've noticed, though, they have no forward claws. No claws, exactly. So that's what separates the two families. Um, the spiny lobster is closer to the furry lobster, which has a little bit of hair to it. Um, those are more closely related, whereas the claw lobster is closely related to uh, three types of crayfish. Um, so it's kind of the differentiation between the two. And that spiny lobster, I mean, that's normally what I'm going to see being pulled out of um, the, the west coast of the United yes, States, yes. as well as in Asia. Yeah. So that seems yeah. to be very They're popular in Japan. The, to the Pacific, yeah, the Pacific yeah. Ocean, and also the Mediterranean. Yes, yes, see a lot of those coming out of the Mediterranean at restaurants like Milos and uh, yes. Bartolota. That's yes. what they'll that's what they'll be serving. Yeah, and uh, J Japanese they call it isa ebi, spiny shrimp. Right, that's kind of what they define it as. How close are they to the? I mean, because a lot of times you know the langoustine phrase for shrimp is also used sometimes. A, a derivative of that I can't remember exactly is used to describe the lobsters out of the Mediterranean. So how close are shrimp, crawfish, and lobsters all related? Aside from being crustacean, um, they're, they're different families, different species yeah. of families. And the claws are what differentiate them from being closely related or not. Okay. Um, so shrimp are closer in that realm than, say, the main lobster. Okay. Um, what's the difference in taste as a chef? What do you um, Well, if you look at like slipper lobster or slipper meat, Actually, which people we, talk about. Yeah, we, um, which we is, have a photo of a slipper lobster if there's a chance to grab that up there. Okay, we're going to throw that up in just a second. But yeah. Slipper lobsters because that's, there we go. Now that thing does not look like the other things that we were looking at. No, no. And those big forward looking, um, <clears throat> those are antennae as well, which is kind of odd. Right. Whereas they're closely related to the spiny lobster, meaning having no forward claws. Um, and a large protruding uh, antennae. Now, this one has one that looks flat-faced. I don't, I don't know where scientists define them as being family members, but they are. Those two are closely related to each other. Okay, so <clears throat> the meats between the three species, between the clawed lobsters, between the spinies, and between the slippers, how, as a chef, do you use them differently? How do um, they taste differently? I don't really use slipper lobster. Um, <clears throat> there's little flavor in it at all um, compared to, say, like a Maine lobster. Um, Maine's more closely... Uh, advertised and, and available in restaurants so people can feel comfortable with that versus if I give them a spiny lobster which is going to be closer to a shrimp. Now the tails themselves have the same texture, um, very similar flavor, but not as pungent as like let's say a main lobster is. Now in a main lobster your tail I agree is going to taste a lot like a spiny lobster and be very similar but the claws are yeah, different super altogether. tender yes. I mean almost buttery tender yes. you know I mean lobster meat itself is very sweet but it's very very flimsy tender meat compared to the tail yes. that you get only yeah. in the claws and only from main lobsters Yes yeah um, and in spiny you don't have that so the right. only texture and taste difference would be just the size and whatnot Now like like I said lobsters can grow um, and live Supposedly, inevitably, so the largest one they found, I think, was uh, 40 something pounds off of Nova Scotia, which who knows how old that one is. Uh, I've seen a six pound lobster in our tank at RM, uh, which we uh, gracefully cooked and sold to a couple clients, which was great. And plus, we've all seen that ad on the strip with the guy holding the lobster that's like yeah. the size of a baby. Yeah. I forget what. <laughs> I forget. <laughs> Actually, a toddler, really. I forget yeah. what restaurant that was. Um, I haven't seen. God, oh, I'll, I'll remember. Somebody out there, if you remember that ad, I mean, it used to be at every bus stop on the Strip, and it was just a man holding up this giant lobster, and it was crazy. Alan Alberts, I think. Is that place still open, Scott? I don't know. Okay, well, thank you for your information there. Um, you know what's, um, 
really interesting fact to me is that lobsters, a few hundred years ago, were considered the most disgusting meat that you can eat. And there was actually a law passed in, um, in New England, I believe it was Massachusetts, when it was a colony, but definitely during colonial times in New England, that said you could not feed prisoners lobster more than one time a week. Wow. Because it was considered cruel and unusual to feed lobsters to prisoners. I have never heard that. Yeah. Every place I've ever heard it's a delicacy, and that's why we charge appropriately for it. And yeah. you charge about how much? Uh, it's $36 a pound. Wow. And now we have our lobsters come in daily. It's fresh from uh, the East Coast, of course, uh, these main lobsters. So, you know, the cost of shipping and getting it there and having it fresh daily is, is it, it kind of goes along with the price. Got to keep them alive. Yeah, we do. We keep them alive. You um, used to be one of those places that would actually let you eat the raw lobster while the lobster was still alive. We did. We, we have a hidden sashimi set that we still will do for customers. Uh, we cut the lobster in half and serve the tail raw and the live lobster, if it's okay with the table, will sit there next to you and continue moving. And he can watch you eat him. He can watch you eat him, yes. That's really, <laughs> that's, that, that is so cool. After I just stuck you know, up for the sharks. I know, right? That one I just think is so cool. There's actually, there has been debate about whether lobsters actually can feel pain. And I am on, I don't, I'm not one of these people that's gonna write myself off and say they can't feel pain. But I have read scientific <laughs> evidence People question whether their nervous system, similar to that of an insect, is capable of understanding what pain is. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if, whether or not I believe the pain receptor portion of it or not, too. I mean, it's still a living creature. I, I assume it's got to have some form of feeling, but I, I don't know if that's just you know, human nature. Um, but the scream that people talk about, uh, I put them in the tank or you know, boiling water and I hear them scream, is actually pressure um, that's released from inside their exoskeleton. So it's not actually a screaming lobster, per now, se. I do, again, believe they can feel pain. And right. you know, a lot of people ask me, and I've actually asked your boss, Rick yeah. Goodin, um, yeah. about this, what is the most humane way to kill a lobster? And it started, I want to ask, talk you through what I remember, and then you mm -hmm. correct me where I'm wrong. It starts with, first of all, if they've got claws, if they have claws. I use the word got a lot on yes, the show. Yeah, I don't do yeah. a normal conversation. If they have claws, um, the first thing you want to do a few hours before you're going to kill them is take those rubber bands off. Yes. Because it helps them relax. It's very stressful. Yes. And this is also makes them taste better, but it also helps their you know, stress level right. that they're going to die. Um, so you take the claws off, uh, the claw rubber bands off, and then Rick, I believe, said either put them in a refrigerator or on ice for a yeah, little while. Yeah, you want to kind of cool them down and, and let them relax. I mean, anything that's kind of not in a frozen state but getting close to is going to be a little bit more relaxed. Right. So you get them nice and mellow. And then what I like to do, and this is what a lot of people at home will not do because they don't like to see it. And I was hoping we'd have a lobster here so I could just yeah. praise people out at home. But um, what I've been told is that the, the kindest way to kill a lobster is to take a very sharp knife, yep. put it in the middle of their head at the back of their neck, yes. go down and forward, and yes. slice their head in half. Yes. And that that is the least painful way to kill a lobster. As we've been told, yeah, that's the most humane way of, of killing a lobster, yes. The odd thing about that is you do it. And if you're at home and you do that, and I, it's, I do encourage you to do it that way, it seems a lot nicer than throwing somebody in boiling water. Right. You know, you want to cut my head in half or throw me in boiling water, I think cut my head in half I'm happier with. Yes. Um, but, I mean, I've already got the dotted line right down yeah. the middle there. So, um, but 
when you do that, <laughs> when you do that, they keep moving for a while. I mean, their head's chopped in yes. half, but they move. And that can be a little much of a gross out. It's a lot easier to throw them in the water and just turn your head. and. Yeah, or steamer. Uh, steamer is how we utilize the cooking process. We uh, steam our lobsters for about 12 minutes at 212 degrees. Right. Um, and they're almost cooked all the way through, and then that way we can still continue preparations. Um, they also have, when you do cut them open, if you were to, to take your barbaric way and do it, um, <laughs> you can get uh, a fresh, the tamale, which is inside there, right. which is their uh, pancreatic area. And we use that for other preparations, um, butter, um, it's in lobster bisques, things like that, gets you a lot more intense lobster flavor. Right. Um, now, of course, I just like lobster really just steamed or boiled. Yeah. And you just get some drawn butter and that's, to me, that's lobster. That's my favorite way. Yeah. But the popular um, thing out there, I guess, especially in Boston, is a lobster roll. Yes, we have uh, one similar on our menu, which is uh, chopped lobster. It's tail, claw meat, knuckle meat, a um, little bit of dill, mayonnaise, sour cream, um, kind of a lobster salad, so to speak. Right. Uh, celery, red onion, um, salt, pepper, of course. And then we take that tamale that I was talking about, we make a butter out of it. We take that butter and then put it on the roll and crisp up the roll with that. I'm going to ask you how to make that butter in one second. First, sure. I have a question, though. Scott? It may want to know, is there a better time of year to eat lobster? No. Uh, any time of year, a lobster is uh, good to eat. In season, year-round. Yeah. Yeah. Not like truffles, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever put truffles on a lobster? I have. Uh, a lobster bolognese that we make. Uh, we do occasionally get customers that want the truffle on there. So, Scott, is that another question? No, okay. OK. Turn off the little light, Scott. <laughs> Um, so talk about how you make that truffle butter. Or, uh, excuse me, that lobster. See, we got butter. truffles on the brain. It yeah, still smells in here of truffle. It's it does, amazing. Man, it's excellent. I know. I wish we had a demo of that today. Uh, we uh, take the tamale and just take regular butter. We cool it down to uh, uh, a consistency that's smooth enough and texture. You know, the texture is smooth enough. Are to people going to be able to mix. recognize the tamale when they cut it's, open the lobster? If you cut it open uh, the way we've discussed, you can't miss it. It's uh, as green as grass. I mean, it's okay. really, really a green color. Um, the odd part is that when you go ahead and cook it, it turns bright red. So it's very definitive. You can't miss it. And so um, and I interrupted you. No, so no, you no. I want to do what with that? Yeah, so we take, let's say you take one pound of butter and uh, the inside of a two-pound lobster tamale. Um, get it soft enough to where you can uh, mix it in a mixer. And then add in your tamale direct, and that's pretty much it. It's uh, pretty simple. And then as the butter heats up, it will change in color from a little bit of a green to a red. So it's kind of, kind of neat and, and fun food. Okay. Um, well, look, man, it has been a lot of fun talking yes. about lobsters, lobsters, man. I mean, lobsters, truffles, we are just set. about yeah. set with everything good. Again, check out um, John is a sous chef, works with a couple great chefs over him, Rick Moon yeah. and Anthony, Anthony Fusco, Fusco and uh, mean, Jonah Kim. Yeah, yeah rock I mean, stars. Some great guys, yeah. but um, John is the guy that's most likely to come out and say hi to you. Of them. No, Rick is great, and so is Anthony. Definitely check out RMC Food. Incredible place, um, and incredible place to get lobsters. Yes. What are you serving? What kind are you serving right now? Uh, we have Maine, Maine lobsters Maine right lobsters. now. Yeah, we're looking to get some Britneys because it's not really a season, but time to kind of get some Britneys in and play with those a little bit. So you have to stop by and check out what a Britney Blue looks like. I definitely will. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, thanks again to John for coming out, of course. Thanks to Lee Savoie for bringing us millions of dollars worth of truffles and then taking them away now that we can all smell them here yes. in the place. Um, but it is white truffle season. Make sure you check out um, Guy Savoie is a great place, but plenty of other places around town that have great white truffles right now. In the meantime, you can stay in touch with everything that I'm doing on my website, almancini.net. 
and you can follow me on Twitter at Al Mancini Vegas. My book is still out there, Eating Las Vegas, the 50 Essential Restaurants. Pick up a copy now because this is the debut edition and the new one will be out shortly. I will be back next week. I think we're talking cognac and Armagnac next week. So that is going to be a blast. Um, So make sure you keep tuning in to this show and everything else on the Vegas Video Network. Take it easy.